Let me lead us in prayer as we begin this morning. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you today, Lord, we are reminded of families in our church that are hurting. Father, we lift them up and we pray your protection and your strength on them. Pray for your guidance. Father, those that are physically sick, I pray for healing. Lord, I think of Matt and and, uh, his son Zach as they are dealing with COVID. And Father, I'm asking that you would heal them. We thank you, Lord, that Danny and Myra are back with us again and that they have made it through this. And Father, we just pray your protection on everyone here. Lord, as we try to go on with life, uh, just pray that you would guard us and protect us. Guide us today, Father, as we look into your word and go with us this next week. Father, may we rejoice no matter what the situation that we face, no matter what circumstances, that we would rejoice in your presence. And we love you, Father, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me begin by reading my sermon title in case you missed it, okay? Here's the title. Disillusioned, Disappointed, Dissatisfied, and Disgusted. Now, Mickey had to call me and say, are you sure about this? You know, is this a title you're going to go with? I said, yeah, we're going with that one. Deborah said, honey, are you depressed? <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. It is basically a sermon where we're going to be talking about how that a lot of us feel at various times in life. At any given time, you're going to go through situations where you are disillusioned or disappointed or dissatisfied or disgusted, whatever. You know, we all go through those times. Maybe you're disillusioned with life because reality at this point in your life is quite different than, um, I guess I should have dismissed the kids, huh? (laughs) Anybody left? You guys go ahead. All right. They took it on their own. They're out of here. All right. You're disillusioned because reality... It's probably quite different than what you thought it would be at this point in your life. Maybe things are different and you're disillusioned by that. You're disappointed. We're disappointed with people because they've let you down. You're disappointed with things that are going on. Maybe you're even disappointed with God. I think a lot of times we do that. You're asking the question, what is he doing? What in the world is he thinking? Why are things like they are? Maybe in your life or in this nation or whatever. Maybe you're dissatisfied and disgusted with the thoughts of what the future is going to be like. We look around this world and we look and see what's happening in this world and the way this world is headed and the government and politicians and everything else. And then you throw on top of that the COVID and all of the stuff that we're dealing with. And the very thought of the future just scares us to death. And we're disgusted with the whole idea. And we don't like it. I think all of us at some time, some point in our life, feel these things, whatever's going on in life. And we become worried and afraid and that sort of thing. You can imagine how that moves on and what transpires. What do you do? See, that's the question. What do you do during times like that when you're disillusioned or disappointed or disgusted? I'm going to be referring back to these four Ds, we'll call them, okay? But I'm not going to sit there and list them all. I'm just going to say disappointed, and you know what I'm talking about. It refers to this. It could refer to any other thing, discouraged, whatever you would like to put on it. But you you know where I'm coming from with this. Today I want to talk about that, but I want to do it in this way. I want to contrast two different figures in the Bible, two different men who both went through the same thing, who both from what we can tell, at least to some degree, felt like that at some time in their life. And yet they both responded differently. One one way, one the other. And I want to talk to you about what they did and why. Okay, what was different about one over the other and why did he do that? Because I want to know that. I want to know why it is that he was able to make it through as he did 
and the other really struggled. Now, the two men that we're going to be talking about or contrasting today is Jonah, for one, and Moses. Now, you think to yourself, well, my goodness, that is a wide array of, of a story. Well, we're not going to be talking about the story so much. <clears throat> you all are aware of the story. I'm going to take about five minutes and summarize each of them, but then we're going to be moving into trying to deal with what they were feeling and why they felt it and how they dealt with it. <clears throat> so both of these men faced life, and they faced it differently. They went through the same trouble, the same misery, not the same circumstances, but what they felt is the same, the discouragement and the disillusionment and so forth. And as we look at that, I want to see why they did what they did, and we're going to hold them up side by side and and see what they dealt with and the trials and problems they went through and try to learn something from this. I want to know the outcome of what they did, and I want to learn some lessons from it. So that's where we're heading with this today. Let me jump in here right away. We're going to talk about, first of all, Jonah. Let me summarize this story. You all know the story. I'm going to do it in a couple of minutes here. God came to Jonah, one of his prophets, and he said to Jonah, I want you to go to this great city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it. Now, that's, you know, we read that in the Scripture and we think, well, that's no big deal but except for the fact that Nineveh was one of the most wicked cities in the known world. They were horrific. What they did to people, the way they treated the people, the immorality and everything, it was on par with Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, the whole, it was just a terrible city. Well, Jonah decided he didn't want any part of that, and he ran. You know the story. He goes down to the coast, grabs a ship heading for Tarshish, which is on the other side of the Mediterranean, about as far away from God in this problem as you could possibly be. Storm comes up, the fish or the whale, however how you want to look at that, comes up, swallows him, and he's in there, according to the Scripture, for three days and three nights. Now, he's spit out eventually, and when he is spit out, He goes to Nineveh. While he's at Nineveh, he preaches as he was told to do. Now listen to this verse in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. It says that Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I don't know what else Jonah said. We're not told. I'm going, to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and tell you because I know how this the end of the story here and I know where we're going with this. I don't think he said a whole lot more than that. And you'll see why here in a minute. Forty more days and you're going to be destroyed. Forty more days and the wrath of God is going to come down on you. Forty more days and it's all over. And he went through the city saying that over and over and proclaiming it. Now, I don't know if they asked him questions. I'm sure they did. And I don't know whether he even bothered to answer them. I don't know. But the whole city, according to the Scripture, repents. The whole entire city turns to God. The whole entire city, they proclaim at a national day of mourning and repentance and sackcloth and ashes. And it is something to behold because this was a city of over 100,000 people. This was a huge city. <laughs> now, here's where the story goes now. Because Jonah, when that happens... Jonah gets mad. He gets angry at God and he begins to pout because he doesn't like what happened. You see, Jonah had other plans. See, he didn't want any part of this and he had other plans and so he's mad. Now watch this because you come into chapter 4, the last chapter of Jonah, and it talks about this and what he did. Now just listen to the first couple of verses here. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. 
It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, what is he saying? Well, he went out and he sat on a hillside overlooking the city and complaining and waiting for God to change his mind and destroy the city. And he's telling you right there why he ran to start with. It wasn't necessarily because he feared going to Nineveh, although he should have. That wasn't the reason. The reason was that Jonah hated Nineveh because they were terrible people. And Jonah said, I think they ought to die. I think they ought to be punished. I think that God ought to just wipe them away because of the terrible, horrible things they've done. And the very fact that God isn't going to do that, he said, I knew it. He said, I knew it before I ever went. This is the way God does things. I knew that you were a gracious God who changes his mind. He gives people second chances. He said, I knew all that, and I didn't want to go, so that's the reason I ran away. Now, if you talk about a picture of a man who's disillusioned, who's disappointed, who's dissatisfied, and just generally disgusted, here's Jonah, because he's a perfect picture of what we're talking about here today. Now, what was Jonah's problem? What was it? Why is Jonah acting this way? What is it exactly that goes into this makeup of, of Jonah and why he does what he does? Well, let me share with you three things that I see in, in this story according to Jonah and his behavior. Number one, now as we go through this, please understand this is all going to come back to application for you and me. All right. So the things you're going to see in Jonah and Moses are the same things you're going to see in your own self. Number one, he found himself in the middle of a plan that he didn't want any part of. He found himself in the middle of God's plan and he didn't like it and he didn't want to be any part of it. You know... We, we look at our country, and you look at this nation, and you think to yourself, this nation is going down to the tubes about as fast as you can possibly go. God help us if, you know, the, the, those in authority and in power change over, and all of a sudden, all of what's being proclaimed uh, by the, the liberals and everything takes charge and takes over and begins to change laws. You can just see what's going to happen very quickly, and you begin to wonder, now what in the world? Because I'm told at church, and I'm told from reading the Bible, that God is sovereign, that God is in charge, and that God is in control. Now, if that is true, <coughs> excuse me, if that is true, then why in the world is God allowing to happen what has happened in our nation? And you begin to get discouraged, and you begin to get disgusted with the whole idea. Yeah, we're there. We're, we, we feel the same way that Jonah felt. You know, you look at your own family, things that are happening in your family, members in your family, things that are occurring, and you think to yourself, where's God? Where's God in all of this? And why is God letting my child be rebellious? Why is God allowing my child to be sick? Why is God allowing my spouse to die? Why is all this taking place? And you begin to get disillusioned and disappointed with God, and you begin to accuse God because you don't like it. This is a plan that God has, at least is allowing to happen, 
And I don't like it. And so we begin to voice those viewpoints and those ideas. And we're just like Jonah in that regard. Now, here's the second thing that I see about Jonah that you and I need to come to grips with. And that is this, that he felt like he served a God who did not, uh, did not understand. He felt like he was serving a God, and this God that he serves didn't understand. In other words, Jonah is saying to God, do, do, do you not understand that they are wicked? Do you not understand that they are sinners? Do you not understand that here I am in, in the nation of Israel and we're somewhat righteous, at least we serve you, and do you not understand these people? Do you not understand they don't deserve your forgiveness? Do you not understand what you're doing? God says, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know perfectly well what I'm doing. Because later on in the chapter, God addresses it. And he says, do you not understand that there are 120,000 people in that city who need compassion? Sometimes you ever get to the point where things that are going on in your life are so bad and so confusing, so disappointing, that you just throw your hands up and say, God, do you not understand? Why are you letting this happen? So yeah, Jonah had every right to be disillusioned, disappointed, and dissatisfied and disgusted because God wasn't doing what Jonah thought that he should be doing. And you and I are the same way. Here's the third thing about Jonah. He was forced to accept an outcome that he hated. He was forced to accept an outcome that he absolutely hated. The fact that Nineveh would be spared is beyond belief, he says. It is beyond my comprehension. I hate it. I don't want any part of it. And he sat there as the, as the book of Jonah closes, sitting there on that hill complaining about what God had done. You know, Jonah represents the way some of us act and some of us feel and think and so forth. Sometimes we get so disillusioned and so disgusted with the things that are going on in life that our response is ungodly. In other words, it's not that we're going out committing some terrible sin, but it's that we are responding to what is happening in this plan of God as God is sovereign and in control, and we believe that. We're responding in such ways that it's just ungodly. So not only do we see Jonah and what he was going through, yeah, we can identify with him, can't we? Because at any given time in our lives, we're going to feel that way. Some more than others. Some going through more horrible things than others. But still we have those feelings. Before we make some application here, I want to switch now and talk about Moses. Because I want to hold them both up to you, talk about them, then we're going to draw some applications, okay? So let's talk for a moment about Moses. If there was ever a man that was born in the worst time of history that he could possibly be born, it, would, it was probably Moses. 
Pharaoh in Egypt had just decreed that every male child born to the Hebrews was to be killed, thrown into the Nile River for the crocodiles to eat. Because Israel was multiplying at such a rate, the Egyptians were scared to death they were going to overpower them. Now remember, they're they're in slavery to the Egyptians at this point. So here he is. His parents put him in a basket, float him down the Nile, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And she takes him in to be her son. She has compassion on him. So he is raised as a prince in Egypt. Now, this goes on for 40 years until he finally runs away because one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and he is so overcome with empathy and compassion for his own people that he kills the Egyptian taskmaster and he leaves. But you can take Moses' life and divide it into three equal segments. Here they are. He lived to be 120 years old. The first 40 years... He lived there in royalty, in the palace of Egypt. The next 40 years, after having run away, he's a shepherd in the land of Midian for 40 years. He's 80 years old when God finally calls him. And so for the next 40 years, he is going back to Egypt to get the Hebrews, taking them and living 40 years out in the wilderness until he dies. He wandered aimlessly with the Hebrew people there in the wilderness. He listened to their complaining. He listened to them plotting rebellion against him. He endured, I'm sure, people trying to kill him. It's just everything. And then when they finally get done with the 40 years of wandering in the desert and they're ready to go into the promised land, God says to him, you're not going. You're going to die here in the wilderness. There's a whole story behind that we're not getting into. But yet he did. He died there. God, The Bible tells us that God took his body and hid it. He buried it. He hid it. He wanted nobody to find it. This is probably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Moses. Wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Led the people out of Israel. Endured all that he endured. One of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. How was he similar to Jonah? How was he and Jonah experiencing similar situations? All right, let's look at this. The same things that apply to Jonah apply to Moses, for example. First of all, he too found himself in the middle of a plan he didn't want. Moses, I believe, and we'll talk about this a little bit later too, he He had an inkling, an understanding of God's plan. But had he known all the details and all that was going to happen, he probably would not have accepted it, not on a human level. Had he known that he was going to, after killing the Egyptian, was going to be exiled for 40 years, then come back and have to wander in the desert for 40 years, he probably would have said to God, I don't want to be a part of that plan. But yet, just like Jonah, he had to face that. Secondly is this, that he felt like he served a God who didn't understand him either. Now you remember when God out of the burning bush calls Moses and he says to him, he says, now it's time for you to go back to Egypt and lead my people out of bondage. And Moses said, well, wait a minute, I can't even talk. Don't you understand that? Now I don't think Moses was saying, I don't like to talk in public 
Moses is saying probably, I can't. It's believed that he probably stuttered or had a speech impediment. God said, that's not a problem. I'll send Aaron and he can be your mouthpiece, but this is what I want you to do. Don't you understand, Lord? There are better selections than me. I tried to help them one time before. Forty years earlier, remember that? It blew up in my face. Do you not understand that I tried and I failed already? Why are you sending me back? As soon as I go back, the Egyptians will probably kill me anyway. And the Hebrews, why would they listen to me? They don't even trust me. All of these things. God, don't you understand? And God said, yeah, I do, but go anyway. So he did. Here's the third thing that the two are very similar with, and that is this. That Moses was, was also forced to accept an outcome that he hated. Moses, you've led the people faithfully for 40 years. Now you are going to die in the wilderness, and you will not go into the promised land. Huh. That doesn't seem fair. Yeah, but that's what I want. And so, yeah, Jonah had every reason to be disappointed and discouraged and disillusioned and everything, and so did Moses. Just like you and me. Things happen that bring about these emotions. But now you've got to ask yourself, why is it that Moses responded differently than Jonah did? We left Jonah under the bush there in chapter 4, waiting on God to, to destroy Nineveh. I don't know how long he sat there. Yet Moses went on and just did phenomenal things. And again, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Why? Well, that's what I want you to look at here for the next few minutes. Because, see, we, we as God's people, we usually end up in one or of, of two camps here. Sometimes we're just like Jonah, and we dig our heels in because things aren't working out the way we wanted to, problems are overwhelming, and we're scared to death of what's going to happen, and we wonder, where is God? I don't want to be part of this. And yet God keeps pushing and saying, no, you're going to go through this. And we can sit on the hill or sit in your living room, as the case may be, and say, no, I'm not, and act like Jonah. Or we can admit, yeah, that's how I feel, Lord, but I'm going to go do it anyway. And reap the benefits of that, just like Moses. Now, you may think that in, in, in discussing the difference between the two, you might go back to the Old Testament, but we're not. We're going to go to the New Testament. And we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. And I want you to look at this passage. It's not that, that big. Let me read it for you, because Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 24 through 27 is talking about Moses, and it's in this passage that you find some of the differences between Moses and Jonah. And as I read through this and we discuss it, my challenge to you and to me is that we begin to see this and act like this and think like this and not like Jonah. Let me read the passage. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27, it says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known 
as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. All right, let me talk about this for a few minutes, okay? I want to know the difference. I want to know what this verse is telling me about Moses that was not true of Jonah. Number one, there are three of them. Number one is this, okay? Moses saw disappointment as part of his walk with God. What? See, this is foreign to our thinking. Moses understood I'm going to serve him. This is my walk with God. And it's going to be sometimes disappointing, disillusioning, disheartening, discouraging, and so on. He said, I understand that. Jonah didn't. Look with me here. I'm going to go back into this passage now, Hebrews 11. Just look at the first two verses, 24 and 25. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's what this is saying. Moses, for whatever reason, now I believe in my heart that God was working on him already because God had big plans for him. And I believe that it was God who was his pulling at the heartstrings of Moses to do something. Moses lashes out in anger against this taskmaster and kills him. But he knew, according to this passage, what he was getting into. It says here that he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was a choice he made. I've had enough. I'm not going to be known as part of the royal family anymore. I'm taking my stand with my people. And it says in the next verse, He chose to be mistreated along with them. He knew the consequences. So before he ever lifted his hand against the Egyptian, he had thought this through and he knew the consequences, and yet he still made the choice. He still made the choice. Why? Because you see, as he thought this through, he'd already come to the conclusion that if I'm going to serve him, if I'm going to walk with him, it's going to be tough. There'll be, there'll be times in my life when it doesn't work out. There'll be times in my life when it really stinks. There'll be times in my life when I don't understand him and what he's doing and all of this, but yet I'm making the choice right now to side with my people and not with the comforts of Egypt. You see, Jonah ran away from suffering and pain and discouragement and disillusionment. He ran as far as he could trying to get away from what he knew was going to happen. It just seems like Moses ran right into it. Moses said, I know it's going to be hard, but give it to me anyway. 
Guys, I've told you this many times before, but choosing the right thing will always cost you something. Being obedient to God will always be painful. God says the rewards are great, both in this life and in the next. You have peace and joy and comfort. I mean, not comfort, but peace and joy in this life and love and so forth. Those are things that the Spirit of God works in your heart here in this life that are evident whenever you walk with me, but it will be hard. And you are going to be forced to endure things that are not pleasant, circumstances that will rock your world, and you can either run away from them or you can run to them and embrace them and say, okay, Lord, I know what I'm getting into, but I'd rather walk with you through this storm than to walk away from you. Here's the second thing that I want you to see about Moses. Moses saw God's plan, and he did his part to help. Now watch this verse. This is an interesting verse, and it needs to be thought through. It's in verse 26, Hebrews chapter 11. It says that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. All right, now, why does the author of Hebrews bring up in the context of Moses, why does he bring Christ into this context? Because Moses didn't know anything about Christ? Or did he? See, this is the big question. It seems like Moses had way more knowledge than I think we give him credit for sometimes. And according to this author, the one who wrote Hebrews, it's saying that he was willing to regard disgrace and take it up and embrace it rather, or for the sake of Christ rather than not. Here's what I think. Now, I don't believe that Moses understood about the Savior and who he was and so forth, but I believe that he understood probably way more than people in that day thought or knew. And somehow he was aware that, listen, God's plan is for me to move these Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land. That's my part. Ultimately, there will be a Messiah. I believe Moses knew that. And he didn't know all the details, but he knew it. The Bible says the prophets could see it in shadows. And he said, this is my part to make that happen. I will regard disgrace and hardship and disillusionment and disgust for the sake of Christ because it is of greater value than the pleasures of this world. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead. Somehow Moses already knew and had it in his mind that, you know what, this is going to be really, really hard. But I will embrace it anyway because God is going to take me through it. And in the end, someday, God will reward me. I will not run away from it. I understand that it's part of the territory. It comes with it. God's plan moves forward with or without you. Do you understand that? God's going to do what God does because he's sovereign. He 
He will either use you or not. But you're going to have to make the choice. Am I going to walk with you through the valleys and through the storms and through the hard times? Or am I going to be like Jonah sitting over there wanting my way and getting mad when I don't get it? One of the toughest things for Christians to learn. See, we think in our minds, we've, we've got this all figured out, that if you are a Christian, bad things shouldn't happen to you. You should be happy and life should be filled with joy all the time. And so when we have a child with a birth defect or we lose a spouse prematurely or financially we are bankrupt and ruined or whatever the problem may be, we, we're shaken to the core. And you and I have got to understand this is all part of it and we endure it. Here's the third thing that I want you to see. Moses realized that faith was the cure for disillusionment, disappointment, dissatisfaction, and disgust. He said, okay, this is life. This is what's coming my way. Now, I can either run from it, like Jonah did, or I can embrace it in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, look at what it says. He says, he closes up this passage, he says this, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Now I believe that it's referring to the Exodus here. He left Egypt with the Israelites, not fearing Pharaoh's anger, because he had seen or heard from he who was invisible. He had encountered God. I think Moses left that day, uh, found his back up against the Red Sea with the Egyptians storming down on him. And Moses believed with all of his heart that God would take care of the situation. Because you see, he had a word from God that I will love you and I will care for you and I will lead you and guide you and protect you. It'll be hard, but I will be there. And I'll take you through it. And I think that it's key for you and me to understand that if we're ever going to defeat the discouragement, the disillusionment, and so forth, if you think that the way to get around that is through a peaceful, happy life, you're going to be knocked back on your heels. The way to get around that is by trusting the one that's going to take you through it. And yeah, I have to give in to his plan. And yeah, there'll be times when I question whether he understands me. And then I'll, I'll, I'll be wondering, what are you doing? And there will be times when the outcome isn't what I wanted, but I trust you anyway. And if this whole world caves tomorrow and goes down the tubes, I will sit here faithfully loving and honoring you until you come and get me. You know, there's a passage in, in the book of Romans that is such a key passage, and I think we as Christians have misunderstood it and misquoted it many times. 
It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And listen to what it says. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Boy, we misquoted that verse. Because usually when we misquote it, here's what we say. All things are going to work out for your good and God's going to straighten it out and God's going to make it right and you're going to be happy in the end. That's not what it says. We know that in all things God's going to work for the good of those who love Him. See, we have a, we have a Jonah-type attitude about what's good. My happiness, my contentment, my blessings... Everything going my way. That's what good is. But God has another idea of what good is. His idea of good is that I take you in this embryonic form that you're in as a believer and I bring you along through the course of your life to be more and more and more like my son. Because the Bible says that he who began a good work in you is going to continue it on to the day of Christ. That's painful. But that's the good God's doing. And it's not the good I want all the time. I want easy. I want nice. I want comfortable. And God says this. He says, I want you to understand that in all things. Now look, all things. Oh my gosh. You mean to tell me that in all things like disease, death, rebellion, Going, the country going down the tubes, my family falling apart. You mean in all things? He said, yeah, I'm going to take everything. And I'm going to work it around. The only I can do in such a way that it's going to be good for you. Does that mean, Lord, I'm going to be happy and, it, and everything's going to go well? He's, no, not all the time. There'll be lots of tears. There'll be a lot of heartache. But in the end, you're going to be better because I'll be right there to take you through it. Because you love me, you've been called according to my purpose, I will take you through that and I will bring about good in your life. Somehow, through all of the stuff that he went through, Moses knew that. And Moses submitted. And guys, I'm telling you this, okay? that your faith on a day-by-day basis, your trust, is going to be the solution to your disillusionment, your disappointment, your dissatisfaction, and your disgust. It's going to be the thing that carries you through those times. Stop expecting God to do everything to make you happy and start serving Him and trusting Him to bring about the good. Okay? That is my prayer for all of us. That we would become more like Moses and less like Jonah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I bow here before you with these people. Father, you know, there's things going on in our lives, in our church, in the families of our church. Lord, you know, there's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of worry. God, we've got so many things going on in this world. Father, we, we all want to cut and run sometimes. We all want to just flee. But, Father, you, there's work to be done. 
there's a world out there that through all of this is going to be seeking answers. And Lord, only you can give those answers and you need us to be a part of this plan. Father, it is my prayer that, you, that we as a church and as your, your people would rise up and say, okay, in spite of it all, in spite of the pain, in spite of the discouragement and so forth, we still will serve you, Lord, and we'll still walk with you. Lord, I pray for that because we know the rest of the story. We know that in the end, as we do that, the result of that, according to Galatians, is peace and patience and love and joy. Father, those things are found in walking very close to you. That's what we want. Father, help us endure the pain that comes with it. That we may not, may not ever be like Jonah, may not ever walk away, but Father, to embrace it in faith, believing and trusting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.